Welcome to the Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind that we try to keep the podcast about PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you might want to review the content before they listen. And as always, we're going to do a row, row, roll call. So I'm Abby. I'm Emily B. I'm Kenzie. I'm Emily A. And I'm the link. Sorry. That's just like, <laughs> it's impossible for us to do a roll call and me not want to do that every time. I'm no, Katie, I was thinking that like... same thing. I was thinking it. Yeah. And we're the <laughs> conservation queens. So with that, let's get right into this episode shall we yeah yeah let's get started with our fan shout out for the week um this week we are shouting out our lovely friend allison who wrote us the nicest facebook little blurb it was so cute we don't deserve these people they are so good to us (laughs) um but thank you allison for writing such a lovely little thing for us we really were quite touched so thank you Um, And then for conservation updates, we've got a few this week. Um, First, uh, if you guys are following our social media, especially on Facebook, you may have seen an article we posted earlier in the week um, or last week even. I don't remember. But um, it was about um, an article from the FWC here in Florida about how they were finding coral that were using um, the mangroves down here in Florida as nurseries. So they were growing these little baby corals in the mangroves um, because they're protected there Mm -hmm. um, and because they're having such a rough time out in their normal reef environments that these corals are trying to find anywhere for their babies and they're using the mangroves, (laughs) which I just think is so sweet. So that's some good news. (laughs) Coral nursery. Adorable. And... (laughs) Some other news. Um, Speaking of not good news. <laughs> a slightly more serious note. Um, I won't go too far into it, but I'm sure a lot of you are aware that there have been recently a lot of governmental changes that do affect uh, in the environment. Um, a lot of rollbacks, kids. Yeah. I'm not here, happy about it. Here in the United States, not necessarily around the world. We don't know about that because we're, you know. We're, we're American. Here. We're American. <laughs> yes. so we're here. So it's in the United States specifically. So, Thanks for the clarification. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so the point of bringing this up is just to bring some awareness about it. I encourage you all um, to read more about it and remember that your vote and your voice does matter. So just remember that come voting season. Vote. Yeah. Vote. Vote. Vote, also vote. register to vote so you can vote. Yes. Yeah, that's important. Register to vote. <laughs> also, really, it, I I'm mean, ready. I'm ready for the election. Let's go. Let's go. No one's more fired up than Kenzie, I feel like. <laughs> Not a bad thing, but just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. All right. Continue. Uh, <laughs> well, Zoo News. Zoo News would be next. I got my AZA shirt. So did um, Abby. Yes, we, we love it. The mask is really comfy. Um, it came I with wore a little mask. I to the doctor today. Oh, it nice. was great. It, They're it, made of plastic it, bottles. Wow. Yes. Well, the sh- is the is the mask too? I know yes, the shirt I, was. Because I looked wow. on their, I looked on the website. Um, so comfy for, for plastic who, bottles. <laughs> right. They're so comfy. And I don't know about you, Katie, but my packaging was a compostable mailer. Yep. Mm-hmm. That disappears mm-hmm. in six months. Yep. 
Yep. So I got that too. Amazing. Yep. It was, it was all cute. eco-friendly. Wow. And um, the mask is like one of the masks that you tie yourself in the back. So it doesn't go around your ears. It goes like around your head. And I really liked that personally. Yeah. It was, it nice. was very comfy. Other Zoo news? Yes. Um, again, if you're following our social media, if you aren't already, <laughs> you should be because, my goodness, we just post all kinds of fun things there. It's, um, yeah. But uh, I don't know if you all have seen, but the Shed Aquarium uh, about a week ago announced a whole slew of new babies that they are either going to be having or have already had. Um, they have two pregnant beluga whales. Oh my gosh. Beside myself. <laughs> I'm just waiting for like the announcement of the births to happen. Oh my gosh. And they we're said just not gonna see Emily for a month. They said they're due within like a <laughs> month of each other. And shed. I just I'm so excited for them. I just can't even believe it. Um they also have a Pacific white sided dolphin who is pregnant. Um, oh. I believe they've already had the baby bonnet head sharks and baby cow nose oh, rays. Okay. Um, <laughs> baby bonnet head sharks. Just oh my god. Too many cute little Sorry. baby animals. I'm just so I'm very excited. So follow uh, Shed Aquarium on social media as well. Um, Speaking of beluga whales, as always, um, (laughs) Georgia Aquarium actually set up a live webcam from their beluga habitat so that you can see the little baby Shyla. Um, So how much screen time have you gotten, Emily, in the last, like, three days? You know, I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I actually went to check it today because today was the first time I had seen it, um, and it was Mm -hmm. down at the moment. I think they were probably (gasps) feeding baby or weighing baby or you know doing something um but it was not currently so active not constantly so. on in your house no unfortunately yet, yet. <laughs> but we'll try again tomorrow there you go any other zoom news yeah i've got some um sorry that this is going from happy news to sad news but i've well, got some it's pretty a nice balance it works <laughs> yeah well this this news is really important to me um so my home zoo for those who don't know is the minnesota zoo which is in apple valley minnesota Um, It has been closed since March due to the coronavirus, and now they are facing permanent closure um, forever. Yeah, so if you guys don't know, we might we talked about this a little bit when our let's talk about zoos. Running a zoo takes a lot of money, and the costs for the zoo, um, like what they need to spend, are about the same as what they would have to spend if they were open, but they're getting no. no revenue because there are no guests visiting again during these busiest months mm-hmm. of the of the zoo year and um i'm going to try not to cry um because of that the zoo had to lay off um a significant number of their employees some who had worked there for years and years and years um and this is all in the interest of trying to just keep the zoo afloat and now um without a new bill that is being proposed by um the Minnesota, I can't remember if it's the House or the Senate, um, if it does not get passed, then the Minnesota Zoo will be closed permanently. That's, don't let it happen, friends. I don't like that. It's it's the biggest zoo in Minnesota. It does a lot of conservation work um, for Shabalski's wild horses, like we talked about in our... Um, they have Hawaiian monk seals. They do. They're they the do? Only pla- they yeah. are. They're the only place wow. in the United States outside of Hawaii that is allowed to exhibit Hawaiian monk seals to the public yeah wow. as part of their rehab they're the only ones they used to have oh a place in California but um I don't know they don't work with that anymore they only they're only at the Minnesota Zoo and only at specific re- Hawaiian Islands but wow. Minnesota Zoo is the only place you can actually go visit them in the continental United States yes um, correct so 
they do a lot of really good conservation work. I can tell you from firsthand because I interned there for a summer. Um, and so if anybody has the financial means to go donate to the Minnesota Zoo, please do that. Um, because they right now they've been doing a lot of blasting about it. Um, actually, they haven't done a whole lot of it, but a lot of people who found out about it were like, hold on. <laughs> We like this zoo. We want it to be around. So if anybody can donate like $6 million to the Minnesota Zoo, I'd be grateful. <laughs> I'm going to call my close personal friends, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk. <laughs> Wonderful. So after Emily does that, um, if we'll anybody else, even if you donate like a couple of dollars to the Minnesota Zoo Foundation, um, another way you can help is um, if you use Amazon.com a lot. If you do smile.amazon.com, yeah. you can choose a charity that your oh, money yeah. will help go to. So mine has been sent to the Minnesota Zoo Foundation since I got Amazon. Um, so every time you purchase something, a little bit of money goes to the charity that you choose. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody has the means to do that, that would be awesome because it's – I don't know about you guys. I haven't heard of any other zoos that are facing permanent closure to the scale where if they – like, it, it could happen for the Minnesota Zoo within the next month. And I, I really don't want that to happen. Sorry that was a lot longer, but, like, I care about this a lot. Hey, it's it's okay. You're passionate about it, and it shows. That's my home. Like, that's that's where I learned to love animals. I've been visiting there since I was a baby. Without the Minnesota oh. Zoo, I would not be a conservation queen. So Andy, You're from Minnesota? <laughs> I Don't you know? <laughs> you betcha. I go out there on the boats, you know, oh we God. go... All about the town. Oh, goodness gracious. You sound like my cousin, Adam. Adam, you bet you. I love it so anyways. <laughs> we're going to introduce Shut that topic. down real fast. That's no. what we're going to do. We, this week, are focusing on trophic cascades. And I think that's a lovely phrase to say. And let's learn more about what a trophic cascade is. So Tell us, Katie. And like in college at one point but i think i might have slept a little bit through this part of the class mm, so i that's don't okay that's okay we got I you remember all of here's this, your so review I'm session questions yeah here's there will be a quiz of the, the degree i already got great so, let's go <laughs> trophic cascades they do come in a few kinds but we're gonna mainly focus in this episode on what's known as top down trophic cascades so what that means is basically you're looking at a food chain um in an ecosystem and you're looking at the top, so top down. And that on the top, there's going to be an apex predator, a top predator. And in a trophic cascade, when you remove that top predator, uh, it basically triggers reciprocal changes in you know populations of their prey um, and throughout the food chain. And it often results in just drastic changes in the ecosystem structure and nutrient cycling in a very bad way. Um, so basically, get rid of the top, and it just goes right down through like a cascade. Wow. <gasps> Crazy. Um, and ruins everything else pretty much. <laughs> Same with um, if it was the reverse trophic cascade bottom up. Trophic, blah, bottom up trophic cascade would mean that the very um, thing at the bottom of the food chain, which is generally going to be your primary producers, uh, lots of plants there. And plankton. And plankton is the same kind of effect. <laughs> How could I forget the plankton? Um, well, if you forget, uh, Emily got you. If you eliminate those, it's the same thing, or it's just going to cascade throughout the rest of the food chain and the ecosystem. So we're going to talk a little bit about why it's important to focus on those kind of top and the bottom of the food chain and why they're so important and how 
uh, how we have a little some case studies to look at because that's always fun. Who doesn't like examples? Okay, so Katie, what I'm hearing, so again, going back to my slept maybe through Trophy Cascade at college, but Mm -hmm. I do remember a couple of things that are related to this. Yes. Um, And one of my favorites to talk about is Keystone Species. Uh, Is this related? Yes. Oh, you. Oh, we love them. (laughs) So uh, for those who don't know, a Keystone Species is an animal that is critical to the ecosystem. So there's a couple ways that people have described it that make the most sense to me um one is if you look um at an arch the art the at the top of the arch there is a brick called a keystone didn't Ken- kenzie tell us this I story think kenzie told I us did. this story and I it did. like blew my mind I'll yeah tell it again. it's, it's great <laughs> no. well kenzie emily did tell a story but just for those who didn't hear that episode uh if you get rid of the top keystone the whole arch will fall apart now that apart. example like kind of makes sense to me, but the my favorite example is it's called the keystone species. So everybody, for a minute, raise your hand if you have keys. I, I know do. I do. I have keys. I lose now let hands. me ask you this. If you <laughs> lost your keys, how would your day go? Like bad. Not, not find them. It not would great. fall I... apart, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So that's the way I like to think about a keystone species is that keystone species is the key to the ecosystem. And if you lose that key, you literally can get nothing else done. You can never get back into the ecosystem and you're sitting outside of it (laughs) crying, trying to contact your mom and letting her into the house. It's whatever. Is that a real life example? Are you okay, Katie? Oh, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) Never (laughs) experienced that before. I definitely did not just get um, a notification that a year ago I locked my keys in my car and my friend Oof. had to break into my car with a coat mm. hanger. That's <laughs> wow. Were they actually able to do that? Yes. Like, it was something you only see in like so, a TV show. Nah. Sometime I will, because I saved all the snaps from that day because I was also oh, like incredibly amazed. I will show you next time we're hanging out because it's really yeah. funny. Um, definitely three or four people stayed and watched just to see if he could do it but um back to the animals though because that's important uh that's like our whole podcast so um some examples of keystone species that we will cover um a little bit in the episode and some that we won't but are still my favorites are sea otters which someone will talk about um gopher tortoises here in florida uh, which make burrows for over uh like what is it, like 500 different animals or something like a, that and a large it's amount of numbers and it's a large I, number yeah, I cry every time I see one. It's cool. There's one that doing my favorite. Guys, did you see my post that I rescued one the other day? Yes. I like helped yes. him cross the road. Yes. Put him in the same direction he's going. And then he mm, like important. sped off like a fast little tortoise. And then you should absolutely wash your hands because one of the main killers of gopher horses is this respiratory disease that can be spread from tortoise to tortoise. So humans can't get it. So don't worry. Um, but after you rescue a tortoise, you should definitely wash your hands to make sure that no other little tortoises are getting sick. Because you're rescuing so many tortoises. <laughs> Listen, I don't know where you live. That's fair. I've actually, actually rescued two soft-shelled turtles in the past, like, two weeks. So. See, there you go. Um, also, They're huge. <laughs> as indicated by Katie, a lot of um, apex predators are keystone species because they're at the top of the food chain. They so. Are. Um, another kind of species that we like to talk about are indicator species, which are my favorites. 
Um, Tell us why they're the favorite. Oh, they're my favorite because they are kind of like little warning bells, and I just don't like uh, ecological surprises that much because they're just always sad. <laughs> they're like the little canary True. in the coal mine. That is a good way to put it. That's the perfect way to put it. So um, animals like wood storks in Florida. Okay, who wrote that? Because I didn't know that. Someone tell me. Yes. Um, I literally just Googled indicator species to see what kind of examples were out there. Um, And apparently wood storks in Florida, like if they are not where they're supposed to be, like that is apparently a big problem. Um, I think it's based off of their food source. Um, which oh, makes sense because our next point is that amphibians are indicator species. Yeah, I'm pretty sure wood storks eat, eat amphibians. Oh, they sure do. Guys, there's do a wood stork by um, my house that hangs out like literally at the Popeyes like all day long. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's so many it. amphibians living right by if Popeyes. If you've never seen a wood stork, by the way, they're slightly terrifying, but I also love them so much. <laughs> they're the <laughs> only they're native stork to the United birds. States. They're, yes. yeah, they're big, big guys, but they also look like sort of like vultures. And then they got the body of a not vulture. And it's that's like a really good way to describe them. And I would say that the second, <laughs> the you. second weirdest stork after the marabou stork, which are native to Africa, mm, for because sure. their waddle is just too it's, much. It's wild. Shout it's out wild. to my friend. Shout out to my friend, Zach, that I went to Africa with, who's we decided his animal for the trip was the marabou stork and he was really mad about it so <laughs> shout out to zach he was my buddy for the trip um i was a bee eater and he was a marabou stork and that's just what we decided nice and um, we talked yeah. a little last episode too of how we talked about a few amphibians and they are big indicator species because they have but permeable skin they do so they're very sensitive to changes in the environment but we're going to go uh, under the sea now. Uh, I feel like we haven't that done... That was water well, noise. We did. We talked about lionfish last time. But no, stupid. we're still going to dive right into the sea. And when we talk about the sea, there's only one lady. <laughs> and that is I am, I am so pleased to be introduced in such a way. Um, yeah, so let's get to talking. Um, my favorite trophic cascade example, this is the one that just, you know, jumps right to me. Um, is the one on the east coast of the United States um, in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, there it was a trophic cascade that happened um, in the 80s and 90s with the um, tiger and hammerhead sharks that live out there, um, the cow nose stingrays, which are my second favorite type of stingray, just in case anybody was wondering. Because um, they're so funny. They're so cute. And then cute. Uh, the scallops out there. So the food chain out there, if you're unfamiliar, Um, The tiger sharks and the hammerhead sharks are the apex predators on that ecosystem. Um, The cow nose rays are kind of the middle um, middle man here where the sharks are often. Exactly. They're eating the rays, Um, which sad for the rays, but sharks got to eat. And then the scallops, which is a Sharks got to eat sharks. Exactly. Is that Um, cannibalism? What? (laughs) Rays and sharks. Um, But anyway, um, scallops are the rays number one food. Um, and they're also a really big fishery. So they're commercially important um, in that part of the United States. So I do love some scallops. Yes. I'm not going to lie. So I what? can't eat seafood because my fiance would die. <laughs> That's rough. Scallops That's are my rough, favorite buddy. food. The beach is really oh, hard for yes. restaurants because we went the other day and he was like, oh, this looks good. And I like looked at him and he was like, yeah, I'd probably die when I walked in. And I was like, yeah, let's maybe not eat where all the shellfish are being harvested. Bad call. 
Um, but anyway, um, over on that side of the United States in that fishery, um, what was happening is that the predatory sharks, the tiger sharks, the hammerhead sharks, they were getting overfished. So whether that was Boo. being caught as bycatch, you know, they weren't intended to be caught or if they were intentionally being caught um, because people either A, like to catch them for sport or B, they just don't like sharks. So they just kill anyone they see, which is terrible. Um, but the sharks were overfished and this was a known thing. And what happened is because the cow nose rays no longer had any predators, they're just, you know, multiplied by the billions. Um, there were cow nose rays everywhere. And because there were so many cow nose rays, they ate all the scallops. Um, rays mm. are, um, they eat mollusks. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, and so scallops are their favorite food and they ate all of them. So there were no more scallops, which is a problem because they are commercially important. And all of a sudden everybody wants their scallops and there's no scallops. Well, who do they point to? The rays. Um, so then there were no, then people wanted to kill all the rays, which again, not the no, answer here. Not the answer. Not the answer. Boo. They're the too cute to die literally i when i was researching this i saw some like horrible horrible images of people who would go like bow and arrow shoot cow nose rays um, what yes what? i'm not kidding you um it was Why? Horrible. horrifying um because me. there was no protection and for them they could do whatever they wanted which don't Did do they that not look at their face that's protection <laughs> enough. Emily, you will find you. i will find you and i will make sure you never hurt another ray in your life also but... why do you have a bow and arrow in the ocean that's like a really inefficient weapon underwater you know unless you're hunting lionfish yeah. i don't know now that's a spear that's yeah spear fishing and bow and arrow fishing yeah okay different. it's different that's true but anyway like rubber yeah. band versus string dude right um <laughs> So the rays were getting vilified. Um, everybody wanted to get rid of them, but it and helped... they're already so vilified. Right? Too. Ugh, don't get me started. I yes. Um, so rays were vilified, but that meant that they were bringing um, shark protections, which is great because there are not enough shark protections in the world. But um, they brought some new shark protections in that part of the world, and they thought, okay, this will solve the problem. We'll bring back the sharks. The sharks will eat enough rays that the scallops will have a chance to kind of come back. Um, however, if you look at um, kind of the scallop sort of regeneration that they have not yet recovered, um, no matter like, even though the sharks have come back um, and the rays population has gone down. Um, but that's because climate change, love that, um, <gasps> is causing what warmer ocean temperatures, which means that the larvae, the little baby scallops are having trouble settling. Um, no. And so, you know, it's just, again, the trophic cascade, you take one thing away and it has all these unforeseen consequences um, that you don't know, but there is no better example of a trophic cascade than up in the Pacific Northwest. And I think Kenzie is going to talk about that one. Wait, quickly. Yeah. Where is the tiger shark Kano's Ray? Where was it? Um, Southeast United States. Oh, in the ocean. Coast. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. The ocean. Good. Cool. Um, Southeast the United States. So like in the Carolinas, um, down to Georgia, that area. Gotcha. All right. So let me take you guys to the otter side here. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> oh you got to do it. All right. So we're talking about do you sea do otters. That? I do the have otters. to do it. I always got to do it. Uh, Maybe so otter not. Oh, right back at you. I don't know. I feel like it'd be pretty selfish of me. Oh my god! I got nothing but something about kelp. I need God kelp me. Wow, these dad jokes are getting out of control. 
Would you say that out of hand? Because like sea otters hold hands, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> oh boy. Boo. That was a reach. That was that, a reach. Yeah. <laughs> with your hand, you reach with your hand. <laughs> okay, reeling it back. Reeling it back. <laughs> I just saw sea otters. What do they eat? Abby, you been, broke Kenzie. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Kenzie? doesn't take much me these days. <laughs> I mean, same. It's fine. Oh. Keep going, Kenzie. Talk about All the right. cutest animal. Go. Okay, not as cute as bats, though. Uh, but sea but otters. But they're soft. <laughs> they are soft. And uh, sea otters, unfortunately, their numbers have declined, uh, especially in relation to the fur trade. So they were hunted for a really long time because their fur, you know, they kept you nice and warm, especially when European colonizers were coming through. And they're like, ooh, look at that. Let's hunt it's it thick. unsustainably. <laughs> they have the densest it's fur the of any mammal. They uh, do. They have two million hairs know that I'm actually reading this as Emily B is typing and she's up. spelling everything wrong <laughs> she's doing I don't great. know what hires are but I don't think it's the same thing that's on my head so they have two million hairs per inch I did not know this square inch oh, thank square you. inch they thought yeah. it was up to 500,000 but recent research has put it anywhere between half a million and two million hairs per square inch That's which insane. is the densest fur of any mammal. It is but it's not the softest because chinchillas are still softer because they don't have the the outer coat that's covered in like the the oily substance. So mm. sea otters aren't actually that soft when you pet them. Um I've have never you pet a sea otter. They're no, by but I have, I have used a biofact that was sea mm. otter fur. So kind of but it wasn't so don't pet Um, otters (laughs) don't do it but i have pet my friend's pet chinchilla that was allowed it was not a wild one because they're also critically endangered so stop doing that um but they're the soft did you just tell the chinchillas to stop being critically endangered well yeah but if the humans could help that would be great too Mm. (laughs) i can't Okay. Um, so anyways, yes, really dense furs. Uh, that was seen as a you know way to turn a profit, uh, whereas a lot of indigenous communities who hunted sea otters before used them for survival um, purposes. So fast forward, sea otters, populations plummeting. And this is not necessarily a great thing because sea otters, as I mentioned earlier, they eat sea urchins. So Sea urchins, what do they eat? They eat the kelp, of course. So what happens when all the kelp is gone? Boom. Other fish in aquatic life depend on that kelp for shelter and food, and suddenly they're homeless. Oh, my Boo. gosh. They're homeless. They have no yeah, I think, yeah, I think, Katie, you actually have a little bit more on, on that, if you would like to enlighten us. Well, so basically what it was the same kind of situation where – Oh, well, we eliminated the apex predator. So in order to keep the uh, sea urchin population under control, you need to increase the otter population to help uh, get that balance back. 
And because of laws like Marine Mammal Protection Act, which we have talked about so much, um, and other laws as well, they are doing better. uh, And more sea otters are returning to uh, other coastal areas. There is a really great episode um, in Our Planet. If you haven't heard of Our Planet, it's a Netflix series narrated by the lovely David Attenborough. And episode four is called Coastal Waters, and they talk a lot about this specific trophic cascade. Plus, you get to watch otters be otters, and, you know, what's better than that? So that was pretty much all I got to add. And sea otters eat a lot. They eat 25% of their own body weight each day. So that's a lot of sea urchins. So Imagine how many hamburgers that is. Mm-hmm. The crazy thing about the Our Planet episode is it shows you what a you know area looks like when there are no otters and it is just sea urchins and it's literally just a land of spiky balls because sea urchins and there's no kelp there's no grass at all and and then you know they show the opposite where a place where there are a lot of sea otters and they're eating the sea urchins and there's it's beautiful it's a very drastic difference uh which there's also a very drastic difference, I think, in the next example, which is the best. Yes, it really is one of the greatest illustrations of how important an apex predator is in in a trophic cascade. I think Emily A was gonna talk a little bit about it. Oh, and that's Yellowstone, baby. <laughs> oh, that is my favorite. <laughs> It's the place I gotta get to. I didn't man. know where you were going with that, so I was just waiting. I didn't either, really. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do a fantastic intro for everyone. It's okay. I appreciate it, anyways. Um, so yes, Yellowstone, everybody. Um, so if you didn't know, um, wolves did go extinct in Yellowstone, um, and it was because they were overhunted in the last kill the last kills the last wolves were killed in 1926 uh this caused a population of ungulates which is like deer moose bison elk this goes on and on you're an ungulate you have a hoof you're an ungulate exactly (laughs) or you're a whale because that's That's... also a thing Mm. they're like ungulate cousins though i don't are they still technically under the umbrella yeah because they're still artiodactyl or I think because they're even hippos technically ungulates. Wow, I'm so lost right now. We should do a different (laughs) episode on like what's an ungulate because that's a whole other thing. But keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So when all the wolves disappeared in 1926, this caused a population of the ungulates and the coyotes to um, become alarmingly high. Um, So because of this, wolves were reintroduced in 1995. And this created a positive trophic cascade (laughs) that scientists actually did not expect to occur. Um, So scientists really just expected the wolves to take care of elk populations because they were, like, booming out of control. Um, But I'm going to tell you about all the really cool things that the wolves did. So the first animal that I want to shed some light on that the wolves affected is the coyotes. Um, So due to the wolves being reintroduced, the coyote population dropped by half, which sounds kind of sad at first because there are less coyotes. However, it's actually a good thing because there were more coyotes in Yellowstone than what the ecosystem could support. 
So it actually turned out to be a lot better that there were less coyotes in the area due to the wolves. So the um, the animal that was the purpose of um, controlling by bringing in the wolves was the elk. Um, so this animal, the wolves, did affect. Um, they caused the elk population to decrease um, severely, but it actually was not to a point of concern. They decreased in a manner that was actually really beneficial to the environment. Um, and this also caused the elk um, to change their migration patterns, which is pretty interesting. Um, and on top of that, elk are also prey to cougars. So the wolves being introduced created natural competition with the cougars in the area as well. Which is healthy. Yes. Um, but speaking of natural competition, another animal was the grizzly bear. I thought this one was really interesting because the um, wolves and the grizzly bears actually hunted each other. Um, oh, what? Right. So wow. very interesting. Can you imagine that battle? Oh, like my you know goodness. that one weird TV show that Animal Planet had for a little bit yes. where they were like this animal versus this animal. Yes, yes. exactly. Oh. Like yes. I almost saw a real life one of those in Africa. It was a croc and a hippo. Never mind. It was cool. Oh. It didn't actually happen. They just ignored each other, and it was really disappointing. But it's fine. Oh. Um, <laughs> listen, as a biologist, you like you want to see it happen, even though you know it's going to be like gruesome. But it's also like, how cool would it be to ha- see an actual croc fight fight an actual hippo? <laughs> like that's really cool. Yeah. Also, the hippo would have won absolutely. But anyway, all right. Yeah. Yeah, that's just that's what it reminds me of is like wolves versus well, that's grizzly like the, bears. The question that we get all the time is like, who would win, a great white shark or a dolphin? And it's like, dolphins are pack hunters; they're gonna win every time. I feel like it's the same thing with bears and wolves. Like, who's gonna but win, if, a bear or a pack of wolves? Like, but if, you're alone, seen, if you're a lone dolphin, uh, oh yeah, well, great white will if it's win. One, well, that's different one thing, story. But... Different story. Have you guys seen like a grizzly bear like up really close? Oh, they're huge. They're enormous. Yeah. I, so the I Minnesota would not Zoo, like to. The Minnesota <laughs> Zoo has three grizzly bears, and I got to sit in on a training session one time, and I was like just behind the mesh of the grizzly bear. And I wasn't scared of them before, and I'm a little scared of them now. <laughs> well, you think grizzly bears are big, then you'd be a po- like a polar bear next to a polar bear. Oh no, I did oh, that my too. God. I did that too, and that uh, was that. I was scared bef- when it was like not standing up; it was just like looking at me, and I was like, like ten feet tall. Oh, yeah, it they're really, really, really big. activates your fight or flight uh, instinct real fast. Yeah, <laughs> but I was also like in front an of- apex predator looks into your eyes. <laughs> I was in front of guests at that point, so I was like, I can't just like. Be like, hi, I'm about to pee my pants with terror. <laughs> this is a polar bear. Like, you can't do that. So, yeah. So how did the bears oh. benefit from the wolves? <laughs> Sorry. So, well, thanks for asking, Katie. So I said that the grizzly bears and the wolves hunt each other with competition, but it also does a very beneficial thing of controlling each other's populations. So not just the wolves um, go out of control, the bears won't either. Um, One of the things that was quite possibly the least expected from some scientists was beavers coming into the area. This is Um, my favorite part of the story. Yes. So beavers came back. (laughs) Before the wolves, there were zero beavers in the area Um, and this could have been due to coyotes overhunting them. Um, but after the wolves were introduced and some of the coyotes were driven out, 
um, beavers started to come back to Yellowstone, and now they're heavily populated in the area. Now, why does this matter? Well, it matters because um, the beavers actually create um, and affect uh, the natural flow of streams, and that affects the vegetation, which is it crazy. It changed the landscape. Like, that's yeah, bananas. it literally changed the landscape. Magic. Like, that's, yes. that's so amazing one... what happens when you return an ecosystem to what it was supposed to be in the first place. Wow. 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 <laughs> it's almost like it was supposed to be that way from the start. Wow. 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 I love how we all <laughs> turned into Owen Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> it's the natural order of things, Katie. <laughs> Sorry. My goodness. Okay. All right. Why so the vegetation. Well, the beavers weren't the only thing to affect the vegetation. Um, Vegetation also increased as the elk numbers decreased. Um, And basically, this just happened because uh, when there's less elk, there's less overgrazing. They graze a lot. Yes. And even better, with the increase in vegetation, that also increased bird, small mammal, and moose populations. The moose. So important. I know. I know a song about a moose. I know that same song. <laughs> I'm scared to ask. Nope, you don't want yeah, to Yeah, you don't. Nope. It's, it's a camp song. Long. Keep going. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yep, we're going to well, keep on going then. So the point of this story is to show that in the end, the wolves truly did change Yellowstone. Um, and they did more than just control elk and coyote populations. They truly restored the natural balance to Yellowstone. Just like the Avatar. It's oh my that, gosh, the wolves are the all four elements. Predators <laughs> are the avatar. You can't change my mind. I just finished that show, and so that's all I've been thinking about. Uh, I'm still in the middle of it. I've been trying to slow my watch. Well, that wasn't that. a spoiler, so it's okay. I've seen it before. <laughs> many times. Oh, but thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it's that. not a spoiler for anybody else either. So we're good. So yes, I love that analogy. The Avatar brings balance to the world. So do the apex predators through their trophic cascades. And why do we care about that, Kenzie? That is such a great question. I'm glad you asked. Oh, thanks, okay. girl. <laughs> so I think as we mentioned uh, before, early in this episode, and probably in a couple other episodes, you know, everything is connected. And I'm really glad that we have this little bit because I was actually talking about this specifically with my mom earlier today over dinner. When I was explaining oh, your mom's what the best. Oh, Shout out. Kenzie's mom is mom. the greatest human alive. You cannot change my mind. <laughs> I love my mom. She's great. Thank you, guys. We love <laughs> but, her, too. Yeah. But I was actually sharing the story of the wolves in Yellowstone with her, and she was just absolutely amazed because she never really heard this story before. And she goes, I never really understood or really even knew about how just one thing could have such a drastic change mm-hmm. over a whole system. So... You guys may recall this 1995 film about a, a 1994 film about a lion. Uh-oh. Uh oh. <laughs> and how his father <laughs> talked about the her whole life. It. Can you, you know, I've, I've seen it play Hamlet. Is that close? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not, not quite. The Lion not King actually context. came before Hamlet. Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just call Shakespeare real quick. <laughs> Got him on speed dial. He's like my number six. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, but you're right. Mufasa was yeah. right. We Mufasa was mention right. we mentioned the Lion King like every episode because it's relevant. <laughs> it's, really it's a iconic movie. Okay, 
Yeah, everyone knows oh, it. Oh, I, I, it's I'm relatable. Not, I'm not saying it's bad. You know, I love Lion King. <laughs> there is um, actually also a documentary on Disney Plus. It's called uh, Oh, I don't know what it's called, but it's a National Geographic documentary, and it is about the entire story of Yellowstone. If anyone does want to learn yeah. a bit more about that I story think in particular, it's called Yellowstone. I think it's called no, Yellowstone. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. I'm looking right. it up right now. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, exactly. Aside from the circle of life, uh, it's called Wild Yellowstone. Making, thank you, Magical Wild Yellowstone. Stone. Making our conservation connection uh, here. A lot of the examples we gave, I think, have a lot to do with public stigma around the fear of predators and around apex predators. Uh, oftentimes, predators are the villains in a lot of stories, like Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, Three Little Pigs, The Boy Who Cried Wolf, um, even like movies. If you haven't guessed, uh, I like Disney movies a lot. Um, so like <laughs> movies like I'll fight you, like The Jungle Book, come to mind, like Shere Khan, A Tiger, or even Robin Hood. I had this thought earlier. The three bad guys in that movie were a lion, a wolf, and a snake. Like <laughs> rough. So it just goes to show that a lot of times these animals do get a bad stigma in, in a lot of different cultures. Uh, and one of the main causes of the decline of these predators is uh, overhunting, uh, which can lead to a lot of issues. Yeah. But hunting's not always bad, right, Emily? Mm. No, it's actually no. not always bad. Um, so if you are someone out there who chooses to partake in the activity of hunting – um, just please be aware of animal populations and hunting seasons in your area. Um, and be sure to be a part of the solution because there are times when animal populations do need to be controlled. And that is when hunters can take a step in to make a positive impact in the environment. But like make- deer, right? Yes. Like deer, deer are grossly overpopulated, especially in the Midwest. And it's because wolves have left those areas. So if you're in the Midwest and you want to go deer hunting, just all we ask is you do it legally because the DNR knows what they're talking about. That's their entire job. Yes, definitely. Their job. Do it legally <laughs> and please do it ethically because that would be lovely as well. Yes. Um, but aside from hunting, there's also fishing. Um, but I guess the best message for that is to not fish for animals that are endangered or protected. If you do accidentally catch a protected or endangered animal, Please release it and don't hang on to it for a photo op. That would also, you can great. get arrested. So, yeah, yeah well, that's some animals are on borderline endangered, so they don't have any protections just yet. So, not quite all of them do, but just be aware of it's like what's out. You there. should do your research. Yes, <laughs> um, but if you what? don't hunt or you don't fish, but you consume fish. Um, something else that you can do is eat sustainably. So my favorite app is the Seafood Watch app. It's created by Monterey Bay Aquarium. Um, and what you can do is literally search the fish that you would like to consume, and it will tell you what region that fish is from that is the most sustainable at that point in time. And, 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 this is really important. Um, the Seafood Watch app goes not only into, like, different species of fish, but it tracks by population as well. Um, yeah. and by method of catch. So for example, you can eat a fin tuna that was caught in a specific part of the world in a specific way, and it will be more sustainable than 
a yellowfin tuna that was caught in another part of the world in a more unsustainable way. And Monterey Bay Seafood Watch takes all of that into account. It's a really um, great and app. So, yeah, so it can tell you, you know, yes, you can eat salmon as long as it's from this source or it was caught in this way um, and so on and so forth. It does, so it is very, very helpful. It does all the work for you, really. <laughs> It really does. And a lot of restaurants will also put in their menu, like, this is, like, here are the fisheries that we get it from. And if they don't tell you or, like, they can't find out where the source of your fish is, that might be a red flag. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, you know, the food that we eat, and especially depending on where we live in the world, a lot of, like I mentioned before, the stigmas behind apex predators, the culture behind fishing or hunting in an area... So a lot of the reasons, like I said, are cultural and should be met with understanding and compromise. And one of my favorite examples of this, like for, uh, there was a lot of kickback when uh, people wanted to reintroduce wolves to Yellowstone. Uh, It took a long time for that to be passed, for them to get like permission to reintroduce wolves to that area because a lot of people. People, a lot of people that raised cattle were very concerned for their livestock um, and if they were going to uh, have to, you know, worry about losing livestock to these wild predators. It's still and an issue in Minnesota. It is. It is still an issue. And when, you, when you're talking about someone's livelihood, that's not something to be taken lightly. So, um, so don't but, blame the farmer. No, exactly. And, you know, they obviously there are good arguments on both sides in that case. Uh, However, that's when creative conservation comes into play, uh, which means coming up with creative solutions to these um, difficult problems. For example, one of my favorite creative solutions to this livestock issue is using dogs to guard cattle instead of killing um, or hunting the predators that pose a threat to the livestock. So a great example of this is the Cheetah Conservation Fund does a lot of work in raising uh, dogs to guard cattle or livestock. And this mitigates human and wildlife conflict by training dogs to guard the livestock from predators like cheetahs. Uh, One of the founders of the program started out researching the effectiveness of guard dogs in protecting sheep populations from coyotes right here in the U.S. And it significantly decreased the loss of livestock due to wild predation. Uh, So they started the Cheetah Conservation Fund started this livestock guarding dog program. And in 2019, they actually celebrated their 25th anniversary. So go then. And if people don't understand, like in Africa, dogs are not seen as pets in a lot of places. Um, Usually dogs are feral and Mm. it's not as like in the United States where we're really lucky to to like have all these dogs as like pets and stuff, but it's not so much in rural Africa seen as an asset. So it's again trying to change people's minds. So it's really awesome that Cheetah Conservation Fund is not only getting rid of these feral dogs that could be, you know, a problem for other kinds of species, but they're also putting these dogs to work towards good use and giving them a good home. So it's like a double win, which is what we always love in conservation. Truth. So that's pretty great. Now, we aren't all livestock farmers. We aren't all fishermen and we aren't all uh, hunters. But that doesn't mean we can't also partake in this conservation in our own ways. And I think one of the biggest things that we can do is to help break the stigma surrounding apex predators and to promote their conservation. So, you mean sharks aren't sharks. bad? Oh, my gosh. What? They, 
Oh, what a shock. Like, probably the apex predator species I end up defending the most. And for good reason, we'll probably have a whole nother episode about sharks because Emily will just go off for like Emily B will go off. It'll be amazing. Uh, but and we'll just sit here and just be like, you go, girl. Yeah, check mm-hmm. out some of the documentaries that we mentioned. And, uh, you know, maybe when next time you read The Big Bad Wolf, don't make him so big and bad. He's just trying it's to not live his, his fault. Life. He's just hungry. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Yep. Thank you guys so much for joining in with us today. Uh, Now, before we sign off, I would like to share with you guys another person you should go follow. Given recent events, we've decided to use our platform as a way to boost voices within the Black community. Uh, Last week, we mentioned Jungle Jordan. This week, we would like to uh, mention Danny Washington. actually the first Black woman uh, to host her own science show. So she's co-hosted two seasons of Science the Blank out of it uh, with Ooh. comedian Christina Hutchinson. So definitely, you know, go give her a check out. But in the meantime, again, thank you guys so much for supporting us and listening to this podcast. We really love that you're here for us. And, you know, go out there, change the world, my dudes.